Well, it's good to see you here at our five o'clock teaching service. Uh, how many were with us last week? Just wave, wave at me. Great, excellent. It's good to see you here again. As you know, those of you that have been regulars with us, uh, we have got somewhat of a preaching program that we've set now, and it's going to go over a period of two years, and we're going to be specially focusing on that series at the five o'clock and seven o'clock, uh, five o'clock more teaching, seven o'clock more ministry. And uh, we said that what we did when we sat down to look at this preaching program for two years, we asked ourselves, what would we want our people to know over the course of two years? What teachings would we want them to know? What doctrines would we want to get into our lives? So we looked at doctrines. We also said to ourselves, well, that's great. We're going to do some key teachings, but what virtues do we want to emphasize uh, over these two years? Love and faithfulness and patience and honesty and integrity, submission. So we looked at virtues, doctrines, virtues, and we also looked at practices. We said to ourselves over the course of two years, what practices do we want to highlight? Prayer and giving and looking after the poor. And so we did this two-year preaching program. We're not saying we're going to stick to it exactly, but it's a good start. And so in January, when we began, we began to look at God as creator. Remember, when we're looking at God, uh, we can know God. Really, everything we need to know about God comes in two aspects of knowing him, knowing God as creator and knowing God as redeemer. And we were saying last month, weren't we, that we are very good at knowing God as Redeemer. We're Pentecostals. We, we know he's saved us. We know he's the healer. We know he's the Redeemer. We know he's the restorer. We know he's the soon coming king. We know him as Redeemer. But when we talk to one another about God as creator, uh, we tend to say, oh yeah, I believe he created the universe. Well, what then? Well, I don't know. Just so what? He created the universe. So what? But what we began to see is that God as creator, knowing him in his creating aspect and who he is as creator is very important for us living in our daily life. Because he hasn't just created the world like a watchmaker might create a watch, wind it up, set it down, and then walk away. No, we learned that God is constantly, every instant and every moment, sustaining and providing for that world and for the lives that we are living. And so that's brought us really into February, where we're looking at the providence of God. At the 2.30 service, we're looking at the topic, God cares for us, God cares for you. And here at the five o'clock, we began to look at the doctrine of the providence of God. Out of this, just so you know where we're going, in March, we're going to be focusing on prayer at the 2.30 service, we know him as our provider and our creator, and we're going to talk about prayer that gets results at the 2.30 service. And at the 5 o'clock service, we're going to be looking at the priesthood of all believers and Christ's priestly ministry. So that's where we're moving on. Um, we recommended a book, and the book that we're recommending you get for this series on the providence of God is R.T. Kendall's God Meant It for Good, a study of Joseph, and quite a few of you got this last week. It's priced $6.99, and it's great to have Dr. Kendall and his wife Louise with us this evening. Let's welcome them. Good to have you here. Because as we're looking at 
the doctrine of the providence of God, it's wonderful to see a case study and God meant it for good. I suppose in one way, if we were to summarize what we mean by the providence of God, especially for Christians, we could sum it up by saying the providence means God means it for good that love him. So I do recommend that you get hold of this book and you'll see the providence at work in Joseph's life. Well, last week we began an introduction to look at the doctrine of the providence of God. And I'd said that it's quite a a forgotten doctrine, at least amongst our type of Christians. And when I asked in the congregation how many of you thought that you could even have a go at uh, perhaps explaining what the providence of God was. I think we had two hands and a half. There was a half hand. Two and a half hands had ever heard or had any knowledge of the providence of God. So it's good that we are looking at this teaching of the scriptures together. One of the things I said is that if you want to remember or to have a shorthand access to what we're talking about when we talk about the providence of God, just remember the word provide is there in the word providence. Providence, the provide, providence of God. And this comes out of us knowing God as our creator. I've already said he didn't wind up the world like a clock and set back and say, well, get on with it. But he is sustaining and providing and governing everything that takes place. Do you remember when we looked at God as creator? We said that, that he was interested in the great marvelous things of creation, that the great moving of the galaxies, God is concerned with these great things. But we also said, didn't we, that he's just as concerned in the small things in creation, the tiny microscopic cells. God is, is concerned and as, is as interested in the tiny, tiny parts of creation as he is in the great galaxies. And that's why we can be certain that he cares for us. And we saw that Jesus said, consider the, li- consider the lilies and how God clothes them as creator. Consider the birds and how God feeds them. And how much more is he interested in our lives and everything to do with our lives? We mentioned the fact that not one sparrow falls to the floor without God's knowledge. He knows exactly what's going to happen. And so providence, when we speak about that, is really we're talking about God's action in our world. In the Westminster Shorter Catechism, do you remember we've mentioned that before? Uh, That catechism that was used for bringing up children in the knowledge of God and for new believers. And the first question, remember it was question and answer. And the first question was, can anybody tell me what the first question was? Yeah, I can hear somewhere. What is the chief end of man? And can anybody tell me the answer? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's, that's the sum total of why we're here. Do you know that? What, what is the chief purpose of us? We're here to glorify God. And I'm so glad they put the second bit in. And to enjoy him forever. Well, when it comes in the Westminster Catechism talking about providence, it says, what are God's work of providence? And the answer being, God's work of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing of all his creatures and their actions. 
God is preserving. God is sustaining. God is guiding. God is governing. And you know what? That's what gives us our confidence. That Colossians 1.17 says that in him all things hold together. Acts chapter 17 verse 28. In him we live and move and have our being. Nehemiah 9 verse 6, you are the Lord, you above, you have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them. God is the creator of the whole universe, and Psalm 135 verse 6 says, whatever the Lord pleases, he does, in heaven and on the earth, in the seas and all the deeps. He provides for the animals. And last week we spoke about the laws of physics and the laws of nature. And we said that, you know, we can be confident that the sun's going to shine tomorrow. We can be confident in the laws of gravity that not in a few moments' time we're suddenly not going to be, you know, lo- losing our, our gravitational pull and all start in some sort of rapture, flying up into the air. And we have these laws of nature, but you know, it's God that keeps them. That's why a miracle is not hard for God. Because, as I said, God did not put the laws of nature and the laws of science into the universe and step back and say, okay, those laws will look after themselves, I'll have nothing to do it. No, he's upholding every law of nature, every moment of time, and that's why he can alter them for a miracle should he choose. He looks after the animals. God feeds the animals. Psalm 104 verse 27, these all look to you to give them their food in the season. When you give to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with the good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. We spoke about the weather and, and all the crazy things that are happening in Britain at the moment with the floods. And we said, well, we understand that the meteorologists and the weathermen, they, they look behind the weather and they say that they can predict the weather. It's a little bit difficult in Britain, isn't it? But they talk about predictions. They say, we understand the cycle of rain. We understand how clouds form. All these things might be so, but it is God, moment by moment, that is preserving and guiding and watching over these things. This world is fallen. It doesn't operate like it did when first God created and didn't just say it was good. It was very good. It's a broken machine. It's a fallen world since Adam's sin. But God hasn't rejected the universe. On the contrary, we can still see in the universe and nature the beauty of God, even in the brokenness of fallenness. And we know that God one day is going to have a new heavens and a new earth. So these were the sort of things that we spoke about last week. Providence of God, God providing, God sustaining, God guiding, and God governing over our lives. And so today we're going to look a little bit more about God's action in history. Let me remind you of some of the key verses that we've looked at. Ephesians 1 verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things, not some things, but all things according to the counsel of his will. Romans eight twenty eight, And we know 
that for those that love God, all things work together for good. God. Is God the God of history? And if he is the God of history, if he is the Lord of history, what does that mean? A great book for you to read, I recommend you to read, is a book on the sovereignty of God by Arthur Pink, which is a great, a great look at the sovereignty. What is the sovereignty of God, you might say? Well, it's very much linked to the providence of God. The sovereignty of God basically is this. God can do what he wants, when he wants, how he wants, to whomever he wants. God is absolutely sovereign. He is king. He is Lord of the universe. And you know, that's not something to worry about. That's something to be thankful for. God is in charge. So when we speak about his action in history and we, we, we read our history books and we see nations rise and nations fall and we see great evil done in history, but also great acts of men in, in, in amazing situations of mercy and healing and breakthroughs in science, and we look at the whole of history, is it something that just happens by chance? Is it something that God tinkers with? Or is God in charge of history? Does God rule or is he ruled? Does God have his way or do men have theirs? Well, let's start with Acts chapter 2. Verse 22. Peter preaching the gospel on the day of Pentecost. Acts 2.22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourself know. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and have crucified and put to death, who God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. This is such a remarkable verse, especially when we're talking about the providence of God, because God's actions in the world, they by no means excuse our actions. We are responsible for everything that we do. And here you see it. Jesus was delivered up by whose purpose? And who's foreknowledge here in this verse 23? God. God. Jesus was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. How about that? Before God even created the world in his mind, he had already set to bring about a series of events where his own eternal son would be crucified. Well, you might respond and say, well, who could resist God's will then if he had predetermined this to take place and this was going to happen? It was his purpose. It was not just his purpose, but in the verse it says it was his determined purpose. It was going to happen. And God knew when it was happening and how it would happen, through whom it would happen. And then Peter, having spoken about God's providence, his guiding, sustaining, his plans, his actions in the world, God's providence, and yet it was done through human responsibility. 
God purposed it. God determined the death of his own son. But then Peter says, you have taken him by lawless hands, have crucified and put him to death whom God raised up. That's a wonderful verse to apply to everything that takes place in the world because God is acting and man is acting. And uh, the book that we're recommending for you to read, R.T. Kendall's book, God meant it for good. I mean, that, that exactly tells the story. When they crucified Jesus, the people crucifying him, they weren't meaning it for good. Pontius Pilate wasn't meaning it for good. The Pharisees weren't meaning it for good. They were meaning it for harm. I mean, what is or was the most wicked event in history? There was nothing more wicked for human beings to take the spotless Lamb of God, God's own Son, who'd done nothing but bring mercy and grace and love, and to kill him. Not just to kill him, but to whip him and to crucify him and to mock him. I can't think of, I mean, there's been some evil things in the world, I know. I can't think of anything that's as evil as that. Humans meant it for evil. But we know that in that act of evil, it was God's greatest good, wasn't it? That the death of Christ is what saves us. And so man can mean it for evil. The devil can mean it for evil. In Artie's book on Joseph, God meant it for good. We know that Joseph said to his brothers, after all the terrible things that they'd done, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. This should encourage us as we look at history, because we're part of history, that God is in control. And not even the evil of man or the devil can prevent his ultimate plans. We mentioned Job, didn't we, last week? And how that at the time, Job didn't know what was going on. He didn't know that the devil was out to get him. But even then, God had said to the devil, this for you can go, but you cannot take his life. Well, Job didn't know that at the time. And those around him, not understanding the providence of God, they were saying, Job, it's over for you. God's left you. That God you worshipped, he's left you. He's got nothing more to do with you. Look at the history of what's just taken place. Look at what's happened to your family. You've lost them. Look, look, your wife is correct. She says to you, you know what? Curse God and die. It's over. There's no purpose in what's happening. It's just destruction. It's just evil. There's just no purpose. If there was a God, he's abandoned you. Curse God and die. And at the time, because often during periods of providence in our lives where things are going wrong, we don't understand what's going on. That comes later in life where we look back and we say, do you know what? The time I thought that God abandoned me, he was working in a very deep way in my life. Of course, sometimes we go through things that we'll never understand what was meant for good until the other side when we meet the Lord and we have full knowledge. But Job knew enough about his God and that although he couldn't understand what was going on, he still trusted God. He said, you know, though he slay me, I'll still trust him. And we've got the end of Job now, don't we? We know what happens, the restoration of God. We've got the full story. James, of course, talks about Job as an example for New Testament believers. Let's go back to looking at God's involvement in nations. If we go to 
the book of Daniel, chapter 2. And a vision comes to Daniel, Daniel chapter 2, verse 20. And Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changes the times and the seasons. Listen to this. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness, and light dwells with him. He changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He exalts nations and he brings them down. You might say, well, how is this possible? Surely human beings are the ones that triumph. Surely a nation and its own force and its own brilliant leaders are what brings the victory. But no, all those things in one sense may be true, but there's always a higher purpose. There's always a providence behind things where God is at work and he is Lord. Still in Daniel, let's go to Daniel chapter 5. And verse 18, speaking to Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel 5.18, O king, the most high God, uh, sorry, to Belteshar, O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a kingdom and majesty, glory and honor. And because of the majesty that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whoever he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up. And whoever he wished, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne. And there again, we see one of the most powerful men that the world has ever seen, Nebuchadnezzar. And his rise to power. And the picture of this despot, this Nebuchadnezzar, who can seemingly do whatever he wants to whomever he wants. I mean, the picture is almost like Nebuchadnezzar's a god himself, and he thought he was a god. And yet Daniel says it was the Most High God that brought him into this position. Further on in Chapter 5, verse 23, it says, And you have lifted yourself up. This is to Belshazzar's son. And you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. They have brought vessels of his house before you, and you and your lords and your wives and concubines have drunk wine for them. And you've praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see, hear, or know. And the God who holds your breath in his hand, and owns all your ways, you have not glorified. My God. Again, the power, this earthly power. Daniel stands and says, you've worshipped idols. You've worshipped what isn't God. And the God who holds your breath in his hand. Isn't that amazing? Every breath we take, we take by the permission of God. He knows our days. How can we, by worrying, add one moment? No, instead of worrying about how long we've got on this earth, we should be living for God with all our might and leave those things to him. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 
44. You ever heard of Cyrus and how God used Cyrus? And Cyrus didn't even know he was being used. Isaiah chapter 44. And we'll read from 28. Isaiah 44, 28. Cyrus's will. God, Lord speaking, who says of Cyrus, sorry, Isaiah speaking, who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and he shall perform all my pleasure, saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built and to the temple, your foundation shall be laid. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held, to subdue nations before him, loose the armor of kings, to open before him the double doors, so that the gates will not be shut. I will go before you and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron. I'll give you treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that you may know that I am the Lord who call you by your name am the God of Israel. For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, my elect, I haven't even called you by your name. I have named you, though you have not known me. I am the Lord and there is no other. There is no God besides me. I will gird you, though you have not known me that they may know from the rising of the sun to its setting that there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create calamity. I, the Lord, do all these things. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Cyrus is going around and God is anointing him, empowering him, going before him exalting him. And all the while, Cyrus, at this point, he has no idea that it's the God of heaven. He's worshipping his idols. He has no idea. Now, sometimes I've heard Christians speak as if God only works in the church. That somehow God only works inside the covenant that he has with his church. And that those outside the covenant, he's not interested in. He's not bothered about unless, of course, he's trying to convict them or save them. But that's not true. God is as intimately involved in the life of the unbeliever as he is with the believer. And even we that believe, we remember the time when we didn't. And when we were flying in the face of God, didn't care about God. But when you look back, can you still see his hand? Wow, this is God's providence at work. There's many other things we could look at. Proverbs 21, verse 1. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. Isaiah 14, verse 27, speaking about the destruction of Assyria. Isaiah 14, 27. For the Lord of hosts has, has purposed it, and who will annul it? His hands are stretched out, and who shall turn it back? Proverbs 16, 9. A man's heart plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. Psalm 22 Verse 28, 
for the kingdom is the Lord's, and he rules over the nations. Let's go to Psalm chapter 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. He will speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. There's an amazing picture of all the strength of political and military power and all the power of the kingdoms. And it's like we're going to dethrone God. We're going to prevent his plans from taking place. We're going to cast off his will and his ways and break them like bonds and cast away his truth and cast away his purposes. And what does God do? Does he get worried and call a council of angels immediately because he wasn't expecting this? No, he laughs. I tell you what, that must be a terrifying laugh if ever it was to be heard. He laughs in derision. The power of God. You see, we don't have to fear the nations. We don't have to fear and say, well, will God's will eventually be done? And when it looks like it's all over, it's not. God is in control. Not only that, but God is also in control of his people. He's in control of the world. He's certainly in control of his church. Let's go to Acts chapter 15 and hear these encouraging words. The Council of Jerusalem. Something amazing has happened. The Gentiles are being saved. Paul's first missionary journey. And he comes back and he tells the news and just people can't believe it. The Gentiles have got saved. This is amazing. And then some Judaizers come and say, well, they're going to have to be circumcised just like us. And in the Council of Jerusalem, they, they discuss what should happen. And here in Acts 15, 14, uh, we have James speaking and summing up about their discussions. And he says, men and brethren, listen to me. Simon Peter has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, after this, I will return and rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does all these things, known to God from eternity, are all his works. You know, I like a phrase that our senior minister often talks about when he explains our role on the earth in serving God. Uh, and you probably heard him says this, one of his phrases, Colin's phrases. He says, Jesus says, I will build my church. Well, what does he tell us to do? 
He says, you go and make disciples. Jesus says, I will build my church. You go and make disciples. We're not building his church. We don't have the power, the ability, the strength to build God's church. But God has commanded us to go and make disciples of all nations. As we go and make disciples, Jesus will build his church. When James was speaking about Peter and the first time that the Gentiles came in, the first fruits of the Gentiles before the Paul, Paul's great first mission, he, he's remembering what took place in Acts chapter 10. And that was God-ordained. I mean, God sent an angel to Cornelius and told him what he was going to do. And then Peter, who had never met Cornelius at all in his life, is sitting on the roof and has a vision preparing him for the Gentiles where God says, I've made all food clean. Peter argued with him. I've made all. And then God says, by the way, somebody's coming and you're going to go with them. We know that Peter went and as he was preaching to the Gentiles, not even an altar call, as he was preaching to the Gentiles, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. They began praising God and speaking in other tongues. And, and the Jews, although this had been told them, it's one thing for Jesus to tell them something. It's another thing for them to actually get to the place where they believe it's going to happen. And the Jews, are, are, they, they just don't know what to do. What's happened? We, 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 we can baptize them. If, if they've been given the assurance of the Spirit, then surely God has cleansed their hearts by faith. And this is one of the arguments that carried the day in the Council of Jerusalem. When people are saying, we need to circumcise these Gentiles, Peter won a theological debate by recounting an experience of the Holy Spirit. He said, they received the Holy Spirit just as we did. God had cleansed them by faith. Paul would do the same thing in Galatians chapter 3. He would say to the Galatians who were thinking about being circumcised, he said, let me ask you one thing. In other words, Paul was saying, one thing can settle this argument about following the law and being circumcised. One thing. It's not a doctrinal argument. He would give those later. One thing. Just this I want to know from you. When you received the Spirit... Was it by the law or was it by hearing with faith? What was he talking about? He was talking about spirit reception when the Holy Spirit is poured into our heart. When we begin out of our heart to say, Abba, Father, and we have the assurance that we are saved. God brings assurance. Faith is its own assurance. But the Holy Spirit comes and gives us a great assurance. And not just us a great assurance, but those that observed it. Paul said, you received it. I saw you receive it. It was observable. It wasn't subjective alone. It was also observable and objective. And so you don't need to be circumcised if you've received the Spirit. What Pentecost are you under? There's two Pentecosts. The first one brought the law. And the church one brought the Spirit. And you either live by the law or the Spirit. And I'll be speaking a bit more about that at the service tonight when I'll be speaking about walking in the steps of our father Abraham. God intends to mature us, not by outward laws and regulations, but God matures us as disciples by how we relate to the promises of God that he's given us. 
Abraham had no law. Abraham couldn't tell you one of the Ten Commandments. But he grew and matured as the promise of Isaac, as he followed those things, he made his mistakes over the promises. He failed over the promises, but he also grew to know the God of the promises and matured. It's the promises and the Spirit of God in our lives that will mature us. And so God is at work in his people. God is at work in the church. And next week when we talk about God's providence in our lives, you have nothing to fear. When you reflect on the providence of God in your lives. Now, when we speak about the providence of God, and last week I said that, you know, providence is a word rarely used by us today, at least in the circle of Christians that we're in. Only two and a half people uh, understood enough to put their hands up. But 150 years ago, it wasn't, it wasn't like that. I mean, they would call islands, Providence Island, in Providence State, or County, sorry. I mean, in the American Civil War, the providence of God was so strong on both sides that Christians on both sides would go into battle unafraid. Well, maybe there's a bit of fear, because they knew that in the end, if they did their duty, God was in control. The freedom of knowing that God is in control. You make mistakes, God is in control. Oh, I've blown it this time. God is in control. I keep referring to this book because I want you to buy it and read it. Because you will see the providence of God in such a remarkable way uh, working out in Joseph's life. I mean, he began with the most incredible dream. And time after time, the promise and the dream of God in his life seemed to be shattered. I wonder how he felt in the pit. I wonder how he felt as a slave. And just as things seemed to get better, he gets um, accused of rape. And he's back in the prison. It's all there in the story. And then he, he, he has a dream for two of the people from Pharaoh's court. And it seems like he's forgotten. But all the time he's growing and God is working in him. This is why the promises of God in our lives are so important. As we pursue them, God is, is working in our lives. And when we talk about the providence of God, wow, that's the providence of God. Often we talk about when God really steps in. You ever had a divine appointment? Someone you haven't seen for years, all of a sudden, they're there on the platform. And you go, when you go, that was God. Well, that's what we often call the providence of God. But although we can look at great actions of God, where we go, that was the providence of God, he is as at work in the providence of God in the silent, quiet times. In fact, often, we Pentecostals, we love to see the big crash bang interventions of God, the miracles of God. But so often, God is working even more powerfully when we don't even know he's there. Do you remember the Footprints poem? I love that poem. And the poem is all about somebody's life as footprints across the sand. And as the person looks at their life, they see two sets of footprints, Jesus and their own. But then every so often, there's only one set of footprints. And when it looks at the time of the life, the, the person says, well, these are all the times of trouble. These are the times when I was sick. These were the times when I was hurting. These are the times when I was alone. And there's only one set of footprints. Where, where were you? And you know, if you know the poem, the beautiful answer, 
I was carrying you. I was carrying. Sometimes when, when the Lord is not manifest in the situation, he is doing his greatest work behind the scenes. Think about your life and the providence of God. His sustaining, his providing, his guiding, and his ruling and overruling. Aren't you glad that sometimes God overrules some of the things we wanted to do? And God, and at the time we weren't happy. When I remember the providence of God, and and I use this as an example because I want you to see God's work in your life. And even the bad things God can turn for good. I, I want you to be healed from the past, friends. And the problem is when we don't trust God's providence, we get into all kinds of problems. We don't understand God. I'm not saying that we should. We don't understand God, so we're angry at God. And we look at what happened when we were children or why would you allow this to happen into my life? Why would you allow that to take place? Why? And sometimes what that can do without knowledge of the providence of God is we turn on God. There are people out in London now, Christians, backslidden. They don't go to any church. Why? Because they've been offended by what's happened in their lives and they never heard this truth that God is at work. That, that, that don't judge him until it's over. God is at work. God is working all things to, to, to good. I shared with you something that happened in the providence of God a few weeks ago when a young girl, a Christian girl, who's almost like a daughter, well, her mother says I'm like a surrogate father to her, and she was pregnant, and she was about to give birth in two weeks, and we were here on that Saturday when we were doing our, our uh, training day. And I was up in Colin's office and I took a call and it was my wife. And she told me the news that the baby had died. The most sweetest Christian girl you could ever imagine. And this was so close to home because she helps us with my disabled daughter. And so when Nicola's not able, she'll come and visit uh, my daughter with her because she's specially trained and all these things. So I'd been to the seaside with this baby in the womb. We had, we, we had seen week after week and it was shattering. And I was in the place where I said, I don't understand this, but I enough to know, God, you're in control. So I stayed and I got in my car. And as I was driving back, I just didn't know what to do. I had to speak in tongues. I couldn't. I was just speaking in tongues. And a strong tongue came through me and I'm just speaking in tongues. But then I'm saying to the Holy Spirit, Lord, I know you're the comforter, but I can't see how you can bring comfort in a situation right here. I'm being honest with you. I can't see how this is awful, awful. And I'm already thinking about her non-Christian sisters and what they're going to say, and how God's reputation is not going to recover from this. And I'm saying, but I know you're in control, but I'm struggling. And, I, and I'm saying, okay, Holy Spirit, I don't see how you can bring comfort, but I pray if there's any way that you can mitigate this situation. The providence of God does not mean that we sit back and do nothing. Like I told you, the hyper-Calvinist that fell down the stairs got up and said, well, thank God that's over with. Just thinking that every, we're not talking about predetermination. We are actively and passionately involved with everything that's going on. So here I am in this whirlwind, just anchoring myself in the providence of God, 
the anchor's firm, but the ship on the sea, my life, is all over the place. And God, Holy Spirit, I don't see how you can do anything in this, but if you can mitigate it. And then I found out two days later that just as I was praying, God did an incredible miracle in the, the, the life of the mother physically. The child didn't come back, but it was an incredible, fast work that God did that mitigated things, didn't carry things on. And uh, the doctors couldn't believe it. it. It was a mitigating thing. You say, oh, is that the providence of God? You know it is. And then they want me to do the funeral. And she really is, well, she was the only Christian I thought that was there. And the family wanted me to do it, but they understood if I didn't want to do it. And they would get someone to top and tail if I brought a few words, but I didn't have to bring a few words. I said, of course I'll do it. Why? Because I'm thinking, God, I believe in your providence. Maybe there's something going to happen out of this. You see, the providence of God gives you faith. Because I tell you what, without the providence of God, what? That God is in control of all things good. Without the providence of God, I probably wouldn't be here today. I'd probably uh, be signed off ill for a few weeks. Do you know what I'm saying? You've been there. But I'm saying there's something. I'm, I'm going to look. I'm going to look for something of God in this. I've got faith, Lord. And then we're there and we're preparing for what's going to happen at the funeral. And I'm speaking as much as I can into the situation. And I'm amazed. I'm amazed at this young Christian girl. Not very well taught. Not exactly a regular church service attender. She doesn't come to gay tea. But I'm amazed at how she views this. And, and how well he's with the Lord now. And I'm amazed. And I'm thinking, this is an attitude that's beyond her. Maturity. This is an insight into the situation. It's not, it wasn't denial, but she had a wisdom. And her husband, who's not yet saved, but he's nearly now, her husband has also got a wisdom that's beyond, and they're dealing with it better than I am. And I'm saying that's the Holy Spirit mitigating. That's God at work. God is at work even in this. And I'm thinking, if God is at work even in this, it gives me courage to know that that child's with him. And then she said, oh, my sister... She's out in another country who, who I was worried about. She was the one I thought would, would be most anti-God out of this. She said, my sister keeps talking about a, the psalm about, is it 139, I've forgotten? You knitted me in my, is it 139, womb? And she keeps, and she sent it to me. I said, would you ask her to send an email with that on and why she's reading it? I mean, sorry, why she is uh, talking about it. It'll help because they wanted, they wanted me, they didn't want any music, just beginning and end music, and I had to do the whole thing. So I'm thinking I need to bring a little bit of, you know, other stuff here, not just me. And I just thought it would be, you know. Well, she sends me this email, and in it, she's preaching the gospel. She's saved. She's talking about the young boy has gone to be with the Lord and so shall we as long as we believe in the sacrifice of Jesus and have faith in his name. And I'm saying, Nicola, will you read this? We've known this girl, her sister, since she was seven. I said, look at this, the girl. I don't know what's happened. She's saved. And so we did the funeral and such sadness and pain, yet such a presence of God. I can't work that out, friends. God, God is at work. And now there are openings and bridge building and, do you know what I'm saying? 
I just share that. That's one thing that happened a few weeks ago. What about you? Maybe you've never put on the lenses of God's providence. Maybe you're looking back at your life and you're still holding grudges against God because of awful things that happened. Maybe you're saying, why was I born in a poor, broken family, not a rich, you know, well-balanced one? Why did I have to go to a bad school? Why was this? Why was that? And, and you, you just don't, you don't understand it, but in your heart, you've got a grudge against God, and it's affecting your ability to receive from him. And it's also put fear in your life. Now, I'm not fear-free by any means. In fact, I'm a very fearful person, to be honest with you. If I'm honest with you, I'm working on it. But I tell you what, the providence of God, it begins to deal with fear. Because you say, well, tomorrow I have no idea what's happening. But God knows. Do you remember I said there's no chance with God? When the lottery takes place, and we're not watching it on Saturday night, but when the lottery takes place and those numbers are coming up, the whole of humanity that's watching is going, oh, I wonder what it is. It's all chance. Do you think God is standing up there going, ooh, I hope it's a six? <laughs> Do you think he's thinking it? No, to the Bible, believe a chance is just things that, that we don't know and that will surprise us. But God knows all things. And the worst thing that happened to you, I mean, you don't get much worse than a baby dying two weeks, yeah? But hey, even, even I don't want to overdo this, and forgive me if I'm not trying to milk an experience, but it's just such a bad experience, I want to see as much good come out of it as possible. We're sharing it today. Maybe someone will go away. Maybe somebody's gone through that experience, or other experiences, worse, or, or, and you look back through the lenses. And at the time, you can't see it. Think of Joseph. Read the book, God Meant It For Good. But I think there's some people here today where you could actually reflect on your life even now and see things in a different light. Am I right? See things in a different light. S situations that you're in right now. The providence of God is at working. It's as powerful as when he does his mighty miracles of providence. Feeding with the manna, opening the sea. You say, those are mighty miracles raising the dead. He is as powerfully at work in your life as when he's doing those things. Whatever you're going through, God's purposes. You say, well, I can see the devil. True. I can see wicked people. True. I can see my own failings. True. But God is above all things. And if you don't understand it, just believe. He set the time when the trial starts and the time when it ends. He won't give you anything more than you can bear. Sometimes we worry about what somebody else is going through. We go, I could never go through that. Well, you'll only ever go through that if God wanted you to bear it and give you the grace for it. Don't fear what other people go through. Oh no, what if that happens to me? Don't worry about it. Yeah, but what if it happens to me? Don't worry about it. It may never happen to you. If it did, you'd have grace and there'd be purpose in it. God is raising up an end-time church, a mature church, a spotless bride. What's that going to look like? It's going to be a church that trusts themselves completely to God's providence. They won't fear anybody. They won't fear circumstances, whether it's sunshine or whether it's rain, whether it's good or it's bad, whether they're prospering or in poverty. They'll face all these 
things the same and they will know that God is at work. It'll give you a boldness. You won't have to fear following God. If I follow God, others might reject me. If I follow God, you will follow God and know, well, matter what anybody does or reacts, God is control. He can seat you with the kings. He can seat you with the paupers. He's got plans for us together. We're not here by accident. Nothing happens by accident. You're not in this room by accident. Everything happens by the determined purpose of God. Everything. You say, my life is mundane. It's boring. I wake up. I go to work. I come back. I go to trust God. Believe God. He's doing something in you. It is the most. Uh, you know, I, when you go through these times of frustrations, when you're on the treadmill of life, you say, oh, well, I suppose you preachers don't have treadmills. Don't you believe it? When you're on the treadmill of life, God is forging something that at the right time, it's, it's going to come good. More than anything, patience is what is needed. Patience is what is needed. Macrothumia, I preached a message on it. Long-temperedness. Patience, you need patience. Patience. Uh, I, uh, I, was, uh, I went to bed a few weeks ago, and this will close, because Billy got... And, I, and it was late at night, I'd come back from teaching, and I couldn't go to sleep, I needed to wind down. So I was flicking across the channels, and I came to a music channel. And um, it was Take That, the pop band. And they were saying a little bit of patience. And I listened to it, I thought, that's a nice song, patience. Patience, that's a nice song. And then I went off to bed. Then I woke up in the morning, I got in my car, and I was early getting to the offices. And when I'm early, I swing round and get myself a nice Costa. Nice Costa semi-skimmed cappuccino. And so I walk in, and I'm, you know, thinking about the day. And I'm waiting for my coffee, and guess what's on the radio? Patience by Take That. Now, I don't believe in coincidence. I believe in the providence of God. And I thought to myself, God's speaking. And then I thought, oh no, why would he be telling me about patience? And I got all worried because something was going to happen that I would need patience about. But then I thought, why am I worrying? Because patience, 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 God is speaking to us. And patience isn't passive, it's active. I remember once God spoke to me and, and he said to me, there's a certain situation and you'll want to get in there and sort it out and them out. I don't want you to touch it. I thought, okay. And it was a word that brought patience. The amount of times I wanted to step in, the amount of times I wanted to speak, and, and, and every time I had to be very active in my patience. I had to say, no, I either trust the Lord or I don't. I either, I either step in or I don't. And the longer, and it's still going on, by the way, but it's none of you, the longer this goes on, the stronger I get, the more page, because, and the more released I get, and the more I'm walking like Isaac, and not Ishmael, or Jacob putting on the clothes of Isaac to try and get, sorry, the clothes of Esau to try and get his blessing in a Esau style. God, God, does all, patience is one of the greatest virtues that there is. Patience, 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 and you'll inherit the blessing. Father, next week 
we're going to do zero in on your life. And there's some friends that you might want to bring along that are going through difficult times. I don't fear what anybody's going through. We have a message of comfort, hope, and strength. But right now, Lord, as we close, we lift ourselves to you and your providence providing, guiding, upholding, governing. We're here because we're here by the grace of God. Help us, Lord, in the things gone past to see your hand, in the things present where we don't see your hand to trust your hand, to walk in the future with confidence. And Lord, where there's things we just can't understand, let us look at those things from an eternal perspective and say that, hey, these sufferings will one day, every tear will be wiped away and all will be in all. Pray these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.